So hi, this is Jacqueline. Welcome to my podcast. So in this episode, I'm going to interview my grandma and my great aunt. So before diving into specific issues, I want to start off with why I become interested in women who were born in 1950s and 60s in China. So my personal experience is that I grew up with so many strong, wonderful women. My grandma, I was raised by my grandma and my mom and my great aunt. Like I will do more episodes on her life stories and you can definitely see how life treated her pretty harsh. But she also tried her best to fight back. And also my great-grandmother, even though I didn't get to see her in person, but uh, I heard that she is the, she's like a matriarch in the family and she can literally solve every problem. So with so many wonderful women in my life, I can hardly see any representation of such women on the screen. And by screen, I mean in documentaries. As I become interested in this subject, I began to watch so many documentaries of similar focus. But what I find is they depict the suffering, the struggling, the sacrifice, the surviving of men. And women were only depicted as their wives, mothers, daughters or sisters. They were not depicted as individuals. So I began to wonder I began to get curious about what happened to these women, what's their stories to tell. As I have that question in mind, the first and the best example I can think about is my grandmother and her sisters. So I began to interview them, uh, hearing their stories. <笑>你给大家讲一讲你给大家讲一讲你给大家讲一讲你给大家讲一讲你给大家讲一讲你给大家讲一讲你给大家讲一讲你给大家讲一讲你给大家讲一讲你给大家讲一讲你给大家讲
咱们家是皮夹，我们条件好点。手工业吧，就说是条件好点啊。但没有孩子啊，咱们家条件好，咱们家有一个后院，可大可大了、嗯，一个四合院啊，那个我记得，那是我以后去的，我记得一个小四合院，东南西北房子有，靠东面没有，有北房、西房、南房，啊、房东面是一个大院子，后院就等于后花园似的，那里头种的苞米、洋姜啊，然后是该种的全种了。我们小时候去后就钻到那个后院里去玩去的。他们那时候呢，他们家是一个是皮皮匠手手工业，一个是咱们家底子厚一点。咱们还就有个包皮呢，现在还在那个姑娘家了。咱们咱们条件特别好，比我们老一般的和咱们家条件就是经济来源好像好一点，经济上好。完以后就是。你你你老二就抱着我去了。那时候我刚几个，那不是我啊，不是你、啊，是我的前身啊，啊可以这么说。五七年这个样子。五七年的是我的前身，那时候可能也就几个月，不到一岁。哦，不到一岁。水果的了，在这个之前呢，那个去娘家佛过这地方。下药上。下药，你这。那么家娃娃多呗。丫头多这边，你把这个丫头给能给呗啊，就是。嗯。那得得一那个太老也舍不得，对吧？自己身上掉还是我难舍得啊！哎呀，咱。反正多也是养，少也是养，就这么带着呗啊！就这么带着呗，咱穷了穷，穷日子穷过呗，就那么说着哈。哎，那天家去到咱们家去了哈，我等也不来，等也不来，我着急了，就带上那个丫头了。反正离得也不远，差不多刚好到那个城外头哈，也不是不是特别远，不远。我就抱上着过去了，过去着正好，那个我的姥姥也在，呃，家那个亲兰姐姐的姥姥家两两姊妹都在了。嗯。哎呦，这就说，春英呐，咱你不把这个丫头就给那个你姐姐给着，你的姥姥太姥叫刘春英噻，咱们就叫说春英呐，咱你把这个丫头给着，你那丫头都这外子给着你，你就把你姐姐靠两个呗，你姐姐就这么，嗯，一个丫头和你，太孤单了，咱就说，完了，哎呦，咱那这丫头睡到跟前了，正好睡着了吧，是吧？睡着了哈，咱那太姥叫一一狠心，拿着给了就给着吧。主要家里那时候也困难，孩子也太多，就反正姊妹们吧，咱那也在不好说呗啊。嗯。这给了就给着，哎，到家们家吃好，好吃好喝着是吧？三天两头病。三天两头病，在我们家里哈噼里哇啦当当，哎呦，这也好的也吃不上，咱就一天就反正就就吃这随便的饭吃给点就哎就是，咱们家好吃好喝，待着哈，三天两头病，三天两头病呢。就带了那么几个月哈，这就病着啊。那天正好我的这姥姥也在，她的嗯老姐姐也在哈。哎呦，咱这个看好这个丫头往前不来了呗。青海话往前不来哈就是活不了了。嗯，往前不来了呗，就说。咱这看好看着看着不行了啊。就延迟了。咱这个那这为奶奶就说着，为那姥姥就说着，咱这个丫头。这是往前不来了哈，这那个啥，打开个纸好了哈，这个。正好咱们家有个当老师的人这这窗台上有个点红墨水，就是这就那个啥，撒开点看，嗯，日后吐上这啊，还能。要他的孩子呗，就是打个记号，来这咱们家里没赞呗，就说是，没没生存呗，不待呗，那就打个记号。这这老人们那时候就嘴里头，正好他们家窗台上放着个红墨水瓶，说是，说是点给点了，胳膊上小胳膊上点了点。就这么拿上这，等咱再给点点。哎，咱老老还不见咱，这倒着也不是说，点打打就这么掉个日打餐呐，掉个两点，掉个两点。家、嗯、父，哎呦，这就这么了，呃，没多没多少少，就就没着着，就没着了。这五九年，这个这个死了
，姥姥又生下这这个丫头，知道吧？谁让他一看就生下来着？胳膊上。我的喂奶奶，我的姥姥就说：“哎呦，这丫头，这丫头人家家不在这，可回来了着。嗯”你说这这这神奇不神奇？我自己就一个样一样，你说一样的记号什么的，就是丫头，你看人家家给掉了不单，这就是一年。脱身又脱身的这把圆回来那五七年这丫头毛着好，可能五八年吧，五九年她生下来好，就胳膊上圆一模一样。这是我当事人不知道呗，我小呗，他们就看得就可清楚了。他那时候刚刚记事，也就等于那那也送过去了哈，这这人我亲自记送过去了。亲自念送过去了，送这要不送过去，那五七年这丫头方便那你说。说不定五七年丫头再好，你还把你还不要了啊？那就是不要了。这个你说这个很难解释啊，这我自己我就觉得很难解释。人家都觉得是个故事，但我对我来说，当时的谜啥也不知道，反正生下来就有。Because I want the environment to be light, lovely, uh, not not too serious. So I specifically ask them to speak in the accent they feel most comfortable in. Which is this accent?、Uh, I know it is kind of hard to follow, especially because they speak really, really fast. Sometimes it is even hard for me to follow, like because they speak really fast, and I have to ask them to slow down or to ask like, what does this term mean? So I will briefly translate what they are saying. My grandma, she is the eldest in all the daughters. And this great aunt, she is rank. She ranks number four. And the story begins two years before she was born. So there was originally another girl who was born as the fourth daughter in the family, but she was given away to their mother's sister, their aunt family.、Um, but she didn't live long in that family. Before she passed away, so before she died, an elder, she just spilled some ink on her forearm, because they believe in their circle of life, and they think they can recognize the soul by telling the ink mark. And the next year, this great aunt, she was born. And she was born with the exact same ink pattern on her forearm. It's just a miracle. Nobody can explain why that happened. So putting the mystery aside, there is a way more concerning problem of this story, which is sending girls away to other families. And this is not something uncommon at the time. There are already two cases in my grandma's family. So there is this one. And then their youngest daughter was also given away to a neighbor, I think, and they just immediately moved away. So they've never contacted again. If this girl is still alive, she would be in her fifties, late fifties, but we may never know. So why would a mother give birth to a baby when she knows that her family cannot provide her with the basics to survive? And I think we can look at it, look at this issue from two perspectives. So the first perspective is kind of policy related. The policy at the time was advocating for more children, because more children means more labor, 
and the country needs more labor at the time. Uh, this might be contrary to what people generally think about Chinese reproduction policies, which is one-child policy. But that was in the 80s, and the time frame we're talking about today is in 50s and 60s. So the policy changes. But like however it changes, whether it's encouraging women to reproduce or limiting uh, women's choice to reproduce, either direction it is wrong. It is an exploitation of women's bodies, a serious violation of women's reproduction rights. So I was born in the one-child policy era. There, I think there is an unexpected side effect, which is that one family could have only one girl, one daughter, and she could take every resource available that her family has. And this doesn't sound like a big deal, but it is actually way more significant historically because there wasn't anything like it before, like in history, and I don't think there will be one in the near future. So we are literally the unique generation of single daughters who takes every family resources available, just like their male counterparts always do. Hypothetically, if I have a little sister or brother, my family wouldn't be financially capable to provide the tuition for me to study abroad. So, I mean, I, I can talk definitely talk more about this one-child policy in the following episodes, if possible. But let's return to this second um, perspective, which is kind of technology-related. So the B-scan wasn't widely available at the time. So you don't know the baby's gender beforehand. As time goes, the B-scan is basically available to everyone. There is actually a rising rate of girls' abortion. It basically means girls, their lives were being abandoned before they were even born. So I just want to provide briefly two perspectives on how to think about this issue. And there is definitely more if you dig deeper. But there is still one thing that I want to mention, which is what kind of attitude do I hold when I analyze this issue? So first of all, uh, they are my elders and I have my whole respect for them. When I think in context, if I put myself into their shoes, I realize how difficult it was to make such decisions. And also, like they picked the optimal option available at the time. And I believe for sure if there is another chance, they wouldn't do something like it. That's my personal standpoint that I can sympathize with them, but I took a more critical standpoint when I look at it more generally, when I look at the structural problem. Because this kind of sending daughters away, it is, it is nothing like today's adoption. Like you register, there is social worker visiting your place, deciding if this is a proper place for a child to grow up. And like, there is nothing like it. There wasn't even paperwork. It's all like oral commitment. 
So what if one party uh, regrets? What if the original party wants their baby back? What if the adoption family they they don't want to keep the baby anymore? And what if the baby has some physical or mental disabilities that didn't show at the time but showed up later? And what happened then? And like this, all these are all questions that need answers to. There is more to ask. There is more to discover, and there is definitely more to answer. So that's it for this episode. I will definitely share more about my great aunt and her wonderful stories. So thanks for listening, and see you next time.